Father in heaven, we thank you for being with us. We thank you for watching over us, for providing our each and every need, for bringing us to your house of prayer. Bless now the word that is before us. May your presence be with us and be our teacher. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. My jacket is so light, I forgot it, I had it on, so <laughs> excuse me for that. With the Lord's help, I'd like to turn to the Gospel according to Luke. The Gospel according to Luke, chapter 17. <clears throat> Just a few verses from the beginning. The Gospel according to Luke chapter 17 then said he that is Jesus unto his disciples it is impossible that offenses but offenses will come but woe unto him through whom they come it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he cast into the sea that he should offend one of these little ones Take heed to yourselves, if thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him, and if he repent, forgive him. And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. Over it up to including verse 4, may the Lord bless the reading thereof. Let's kneel for a word of prayer together. Our great and high heavenly Father, we thank thee and we praise thee. We lift up thy name, knowing that thou art the great God, the one who created all things, the one who spoke and worlds sprang into being. We glorify thee for thy greatness, even though so many turn away from thee, even though so many deny thee, mock thee. None of that diminishes thy glory. And we want to strive to give thee thy proper place as Lord of all. We're thankful that thou hast provided for us this opportunity to gather in thy house of prayer, to bend before thee in grateful adoration, knowing what thou hast done for us, even though we are so unworthy. We thank thee for sending thy Son. We glorify thee, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the victor who triumphed over all, who broke the very bars of death and set the captive free. Heavenly Father, we thank thee. We glorify thee. We lift up thy high and holy name and we look forward to an eternity of praising thee for who thou art. Heavenly Father, as the word says, thou dost know our frame and that we are but dust. And though our, we are often uh, shaken by circumstances, what a joy and what a blessing it is to be able to turn to Thee at every problem, at every difficulty. And Heavenly Father, we want to remember now those, especially Sister Millie and her family and 
the Yuhas family in Kitchener that have lost loved ones and whose world now has been rocked by loss and grief. Grant unto them the comfort that the world cannot know. Grant unto them the blessing to know that their loved ones and ours are waiting for us to receive us on the other shore. What a blessing to know that it is never goodbye for the believer here, but only until we meet again. Heavenly Father, we thank thee for this, for this comfort, for this joy that we can hold in our hearts here, the hope of glory, knowing that thou wilt one day set all things right. Heavenly Father, as we've read this morning in thy word, we thank thee for the words of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who instructed his disciples and in turn instructs us now of the necessity for forgiveness. Heavenly Father, where we have wronged others, we need to ask for forgiveness and we ask for that now, knowing that our prayers will be hindered if we do not, that thou wilt not hear unless we forgive. So Heavenly Father, help us to forgive even as we have been forgiven. We thank thee for this time around thy word. We ask for thy blessing on those that are traveling away from us today. We ask a special blessing on all those who bring forth thy word wherever believers are gathered together in thy name, that thy word would go forth in power to the changing of the hearts of men and women throughout this world. Be with our brother as he would expound thy word unto us. Grant him inspiration from above that thy good and Holy Spirit would be present among us now as we would consider the things that have been recorded for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Dear ones, we come before the word of God this morning. The Bible says that God will accept this one person, he that is of a contrite heart and that trembles at his word. If the word of God has become sort of mundane to us or rote, and we no longer have that um, conviction when we read it, we need, as Paul writes to the Corinthians in chapter 13 of his second letter that we need to examine ourselves we need to examine ourselves and say what is numbing our senses what is diminishing the effects that that word has on us it's almost as if we think we have arrived but the same apostle Paul says I haven't arrived in Philippians 3 I haven't yet attained that for which I was apprehended, meaning I was arrested for on the, on the road to Damascus. Jesus arrested. Arrested just means he stopped him in his tracks and apprehended him so that he could become the apostle to the Gentiles. He had a, a, a plan for the apostle Paul in his propagation of the gospel. <clears throat> Jesus brought in the building blocks to our lives 
in the Sermon on the Mount and throughout the teachings as he journeyed through Galilee and Judea, preaching, teaching, healing, rebuking, reproving. And this is certainly one of those monumental times when he stopped and talked to his disciples. The parallel passage is found in in Matthew chapter 18. That's why we have different witnesses. uh, That in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word would be established. And he talks about the impossibility that offenses will come. Will, will not come, should I say. It's impossible that they will not come. The word is a little bit awkward in the King James language, but it is impossible, but that offences will come. In other words, it is impossible that they will not come. They will come. And perhaps I have a sense that he was talking about the world offending his little ones, his followers, because of the word. Like he says in the <clears throat> Matthew 13 of the parable of the sower, he talks about those that have received the word in not good ground. And then when persecutions and trial comes, they, come, they become offended. And Jesus says, but woe unto them that give the offense also. So he's speaking about Offense of the gospel, as Paul says, if he was preaching uh, circumcision, then the offense of the gospel is stopped. What the Jews would not, lo- the Jewish uh, uh, Judaizers and the Jewish uh, believers that weren't believers, but the Jews themselves that persecuted Paul because he says you don't need circumcision. They said, but Moses gave it to us, and they persecuted Paul for that. He said, if he's preaching circumcision to the Judaizers because the Judaizers believed in it, it says then I wouldn't, be, I wouldn't be persecuted. The offense of the gospel would cease. But there is a cost to being a disciple. There is a price that is paid for preaching the truth, teaching the truth. So he says that it's better if someone were, had a, a millstone tied around his neck and he's cast, he was cast into the sea. Better for that to happen than for him to persecute or to offend one of his little ones. And we know what size of that millstone is. We've seen that in historical documents and encyclopedias. and It's huge. In the order of tons, That's how much the Lord considered the seriousness of the offense of trying to somehow set a trap for his little ones or persecuting them to force them, as Paul says, that he was one that caused the, or tried to cause the Christians to blaspheme to speak evil against the way, the Christian way, the gospel. And they never did. Some may have, but many did not and paid for it with their lives. But there's a second sense here too. 
and it's also given in other scriptures as well, that we need to take heed because he brings in the, the, the situation of a brother trespassing against you. When your brother or sister trespasses against you, there is right there the, the offense that comes in. One becomes offended. One is hurt. One is injured. And even that, to Christ, is a very serious issue. When we don't deal with it, it could lead to very destructive consequences. And I have just, um, for the sake of time, I want to read you a few scriptures. For example, in Matthew 24, 10, it says, And many shall be, he's talking about the last days, before the Lord Jesus Christ will come, and many shall be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. We're living in very confusing times. Very confusing times. If, if, if there was ever a year for offense, it was this year. With Antifa and Black Lives Matter and riots and burnings and, and you name it. And presidential candidates just slurring ac across the, the podiums at their, at their uh, presidential campaigning debates. You see, believers from our own churches getting involved in this and getting trapped in this barrage of campaigning for and against. And some of the things that they just pick up that other people print and they throw it up there, uh, it is completely antithetical to the gospel. It is completely against what Jesus Christ said we need to be in this world. We don't need, we should not add fuel to the fire. As a matter of fact, we should be holding it back. Because even then, I mean, we have a, was it two weeks ago? We got a uh, a letter from uh, a, a correspondence from the uh, communications committee that basically said that this is how we ought to behave as believers in times like this. We need to continue to show the traits and characteristics of Christ and not of this world. Why are offenses so bad? Some of you may have read... Um, we have in our Apostolic Christian <clears throat> Nazarene Counseling uh, Committee uh, literature that has been published. There's a book called The Bait of Satan. The Bait of Satan that was, we were encouraged to read. Because what it does actually uh, reveal very clearly, which is in scripture, it's all scripturally based, that an offense, the Greek word for offense is scandalon. It's where you get the word scandal from. And scandalon means a trap, 
a baited trap. That's why Jesus said to the apostle Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou art an offense to me. You are a trap. Satan has laid this trap. You don't want me to go to Jerusalem to die. And you're trying to convince me not to go. You are not showing the wisdom of God, but you are savoring the the, the wisdom of this world, of man. That's why I came. I came to die. And so when Peter was opposing Christ's mission, unbeknownst to him at the time, but Jesus said, you're a trap to me. You're a scandal on. So the offense is really a trap for every one of us. Anything, when we pray to God, lead me not into temptation, it just doesn't mean sexual temptation. Or it just doesn't mean coveting my neighbor's goods. Or it doesn't mean just, uh, you know, get rich quick by cheating on my taxes and so forth. There's all kinds of temptations out there. And the, the offense is one of the most insidious weapons that Satan has in his arsenal. It's led to destructive behavior. It's led to people leaving the church. And that's what Satan's tactics are. Divide and conquer, divide and conquer, divide and conquer. That's why it's such a high priority on Christ's list of sins. It leads to bitterness as it sets in like rot in the heart. When there's an offense, and depending upon how you deal with it, it could lead to destruction. That's not an understatement. There is no winning in becoming bitter. Nobody wins. No one has changed the world in a good way by being a bitter person. First Corinthians 6, 7 says... Why do you take your brother to court? Why do you go to the government for an issue you have with your brother? Why don't you rather suffer being defrauded instead of getting other people to say, ah, that's what a Christian behaves like. They fight each other. It's on the front pages of the newspapers. Have we forgotten what Jesus said in Matthew 5? In the Sermon on the Mount, the building blocks, the ABCs of our Christian life. Bless them that curse you. Pray for them that despitefully use you. The scripture says in Proverbs 18 19, a brother offended is harder to be one than a strong city. An offended brother, it's very hard to be one, so much that it's even harder to conquer a strong, fortified city. When we don't realize that this is a spiritual battle that we're in, we could easily forget that. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, says that the that our warfare. The battle that we're going through is not carnal. It's not one that's carnal, that that is catered to the flesh. 
It's spiritual to the pulling down of strongholds. And those strongholds aren't the physical strongholds he's talking about. He's talking about the strongholds that Satan may have in our lives. Unforgiveness. Offend, being offended to the point that we cannot communicate with a brother or a sister anymore. That we avoid each other. That we do things that are maybe spiteful. That when we re- if we do respond, it's in a very dismissive fact, uh, manner. I've seen it. This, this past week, I've seen at least two or three um, things on the internet. People making quotes about when somebody's behaving in such a such a fashion, don't think you have it all made out. You know you've got him figured out. And he's behaving like that way because he's like this and he's like that. And we start issuing all these names and name calling. How do you know why he's acting that way? How do you know that that person doesn't have a problem with depression? How do you know that that person uh, may be on prescription drugs? Because he, he had, or he or she had prescription uh, dr- medication for pain, for back pain, or some medical condition for such a long time, and now they're hooked. It's, it's happened before. How do we know what they're thinking, why they're going that way? Have we stopped to ask them why they're thinking that way, why they're behaving that way? Do we care enough? These are some of the traps we may fall into. When a brother that is offended puts up walls, he's doing it for self-preservation, to protect himself. When a brother that is offended stops coming to church, it's self-preservation. I'm not, I'm not condoning it in, in no way. But when we do not approach that situation in a way as, we, as, a, as a method of restoring and bringing back and understanding, then I think God expects far more of us. Now, that problem may never be healed. That problem may never be cured. God forbid that it doesn't. But we won't be accountable for what that person does. We'll be accountable for what we do in this situation. God will hold us accountable. Proverbs 19.11 says, The discretion or the wisdom of a man is to defer his anger, is to put his anger off. When an offense occurs, that he's to put that anger off And James says the same thing. He should be slow to speak, slow to wrath, and quick to hear. That's why I love James. He's very, very practical. He's a very practical apostle. John speaks in high theological, Christological terms. But James says, stop gossiping. James says, stop showing off. James says, prove your love with your works. Prove your faith with your works. Very, very practical. And it it says in Proverbs 19.11, 
It's, it's wise to defer anger, to think about what you, what you experience now. And second of all, it is his glory to pass over a transgression. Think about that. It's glory to pass over a transgression when someone injures you. In the, in the Hebrew, that word is abar. It means to, to step around, to overstep, to overlook when someone hurts you. Because if you think about it, the person that has, over, that, that has hurt you and offended you probably has spiritual lack, needs spiritual help. But when we try to revenge ourselves or overcome the evil with evil return back and pay them back, we are not in any way diffusing the situation. We're adding to the offence. And we're making the situation worse. You don't put fire out with fire. You don't overcome evil with evil, as the Apostle Paul says to the Romans. That is man's way of looking at it. This was what Aristotle said. This is Aristotle. He's a Greek. He wasn't Christian. They said he was a wise man, but in this way he is foolish. To take vengeance on one's enemies is nobler than to come to terms with them and to make peace. For to retaliate is just, and that which is just is noble. Really? That's where the Greeks get their, the ancient Greeks, hopefully not today's Greeks, get their whole philosophy of what a, a strong man is, what it means to be a man. Retaliate. Show them what for. Don't take that guff. Really? What did Jesus say? Let me read it again. I keep on bringing up the same. I'm just going to read it what Jesus said. So it's... Um, instilled in our minds. Matthew 5. I, again, please go back. Always, always, always go back to Matthew. The Sermon on the Mount. We often forget that. When life gets difficult, confusing, stressful, go back to Matthew chapter 5. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said this. You've heard that it was said, thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, pray for them that despitefully use you and persecute you. Why? It's the only way to win. And number, number one, that ye may be the children of your father, because that's who your father is. He made you in his image. He made me in his image. And he wants us to, to behave and conduct ourselves and truthfully verify 
that this is what our Father's like. And show to the world and manifest to the world that this is what the Father is like. That's why many children, they reject Christianity or they reject um, fatherhood because, or reject God. Because their father was that mean and abusive to them and to their mother when, when he was younger. And they become bitter and they're offended. And if that's the kind of father God is, I don't want any part to do with him. That's the only father they can identify with before coming to the truth. Ambrose was uh, an early Christian father. He says, no one heals themselves by wounding another. Make sense? What vengeance does, it gratifies it gratifies you, gives you pleasure because justice is done, right? Justice, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going I'm to get him back because he deserves it. That's not what God tells us to do. In, in Romans chapter four, uh, 12, let's go to the book of Romans chapter 12. See, this is what I'm saying when, when we think Scripture is mundane, but yet we don't have victory. It's mundane. It's boring. But we have all kinds of problems because we never refer to the scripture. We know better. Our feelings, our, our intuition knows better, right? Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Then he says, and be not conformed to this world. It doesn't mean just dress. It doesn't just mean what the car you drive. He says, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove that which is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. It means to think like God thinks. The Greeks thought, You've got to get them back. You're not a man. It's weak to accept an offense and not stand up for yourself. We look at um, the verse in Romans 12, 19. Keep going to 12, 19. But this is what he says. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves. Did we hear that before? Did not Jesus say, if a man smites you on one cheek, give him the other? If a man takes your coat, take, give him your cloak also? If a Roman soldier bids you to walk with him one mile, go with him twice? Paul says the same thing. He, he met Jesus on the way to Damascus. He heard directly from him, don't avenge yourself. But rather give place unto wrath. Now, I used to think this one, I, I used to think this verse meant, verse meant this before. And maybe it still does, I don't know. I used to think, don't avenge yourself, don't take vengeance, but give way to wrath, put wrath behind you. But there are many translations that translate it this way. But rather give place to God's wrath. 
give place to the vengeance of God because in, in the very next half of that verse it says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. God is going to deal with injustice. We think that it's, it's righteous that justice is met. And, and who's going to do it but me? I was the one that's offended. But God says, no, no, that's not your job. That's not your business. I am the judge. And I will deal with it in my time and in my way. If, if we are wanting to take vengeance because someone has hurt us so badly, then that's all we are focused on. We're not focused on the spiritual state of that brother or sister. We're focusing on my hurt. I remember a friend of mine, many, many years ago, he offered me a book called Atlas Shrugged. You know who Atlas was? I think Greek mythology, right? He was the one that carried the world on his back, right? And what if Atlas shrugged? He couldn't care less, and the world fell over, and everyone got destroyed. Now, we don't believe in Atlas. We know he's a Greek myth. But what would have happened if Jesus shrugged? What would have happened if the offense of the cross was too great? And he said, no, they hurt me so bad. I came and they spat upon me. They mocked me. They ridiculed me. They put a crown of thorns upon me to mock me and make my head bleed. And then they nailed me to the cross half naked and they taunted me. What would have happened? As Apostle Paul writes to the Corinthians chapter 15, we'd yet be dead in our sins. That's why he says, be like your father, be like Christ, who though he was reviled, reviled not again, and neither was any guile found in his mouth. He took the punishment for a greater cause, for the cause of a love for this lost and dying world. And here I am in my little corner saying, oh, he said that about me. Oh, that's it. I'm cutting off ties. Let him come talk to me. Do you realize, do we realize, I don't like to use you because it, it affects me too, of, especially in this, in this area. It's easy, to get, it's easy to get offended. It's impossible not to get offended. Do I realize, do we realize that God has 
a greater mission for us on this earth than to be pinned down, pinned down by this trap. That's what the traps do. You see those big bear traps? That's what he's talking about. The animal trap is there either to kill you or to, or to trap you so you can't move. You become immobile, incapacitated. And it's painful. You'd say, I'd rather go on with this painful trap and I can't move anywhere, I can't go forward, I can't go back. But I'd rather have this painful trap and accept my offence. That doesn't make sense. It just does not make sense. I remember a brother once approached me many years ago. God bless his soul, he's gone to be with the Lord now. But he asked me, Brother Doug, what do, we, what do I do in this situation? There's this one person that has really offended me and really hurt me with his words, and I don't know what to do. I said, Brother, I, this, is, this is really bothering you, isn't it? Like, I can't remember the exact words. But I said, as long as you hold on to this grudge or this bitterness, you're going to carry that brother everywhere you go, everywhere you walk. When you go to work, he's going to come with you. When you go to the shopping center, he's going to go with you. When you come to church, he's going to come with you. He's going to be right next to you. Why? Because you haven't unlocked the key that chains him to you. It's a trap. Why don't you leave that to God? Why don't you leave that to God? Because he says, give place to wrath. Give God that business but you do what you need to do to free yourself from the blood of all men you can forgive him even if he doesn't forgive you why you're the one that benefits most from the forgiveness that's why you benefit, I benefit most from the forgiveness. Because I'm not chained anymore. It's a glory. As a matter of fact, it doesn't make you weak. It makes you even stronger. It makes us even shine the brighter when we can do that. I'm reminded of the scripture in 1 Samuel when David was going to fight Goliath. And they were mocking him. <laughs> Who is this little lad, skinny lad, whatever. What did, what did, what did David res respond to him? I come to you in the name of the Lord God of hosts. And the battle is not mine. The battle is the Lord's. We may not have Philistines today. We may not have Amalekites today. But we have each other 
that we can so easily stumble into this trap that Satan is waiting to lure us into with his bait. You can't let him get the better of you. You can't let him say that. I remember talking to one individual that said, do you know what she said to me? Do you know what the Jews said of Christ? He's got a devil. And he casts out devils by the prince of the devils. He's a devil. What do you think that is to the son of God? Deity. But as I were raising him on that wood, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. The servant is not greater than his Lord, Jesus said. If they have done this in a, dry tr- in a green tree, what shall they do in the dry? They'll burn you up. Don't be offended. Because the offended, the offended can be crippled. Proverbs 10.12 says, Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all sins. If we are more concerned on the recovery of our brother or sister, we won't stand in judgment of them. That's God's job. But we will do what we need to do to bring restoration. And sometimes it'll work, sometimes it won't. Jesus said in Matthew 18, what happens when your brother trespasses against you? Go between him and thee alone. Tell him, just you and you two. Don't tell everybody else. Don't tell everybody else how they hurt you, how they've offended you. That's gossip. Because these people cannot do anything about it. Everybody else can't do anything about your situation. It's between you and him. Do it in love. Do it as if you care for that person. Not as if. Because you care for that person. Do it with the agenda that you want to restore that relationship with that person. If you do that, you'll be very careful about the words you choose. This is not a win-lose situation. He wins and you loses. Or you win and he loses. This is a win-win. Because the relationship, until that relationship is restored, it's a lost situation. Until that relationship is restored, It's a lose-lose situation. But when we approach our brother in love with the intent of recovering that brother from the snare of the devil, if in fact he's the one, he's the offender, maybe you were the offender. That's why you go between him and you you alone. That's why you bring two or three witnesses as a second step. Maybe you misunderstood the situation. An independent mediator, don't call your brother or your father, 
in the flesh, call an independent mediator. This is a situation we're in. I feel that our relationship is strained because of this. And he admits that, yeah, that's what he said, but he doesn't think it's wrong. I want to restore this relationship. The trust can't be built until there is this forgiveness, mutual acceptance. It doesn't mean you just, you just brush it out of your memory physically and then you never come back again. It's going to be there. But also what's going to be there is that, yeah, he sincerely apologized. He had tears in his eyes when he, when he said that. And then you say, well, what a great God we have. What wisdom the scriptures have for us. What wisdom God has given to us to restore relationships. Not like Aristotle, but like Jesus. James says the same thing. As I said, I love brother James. Let him know that he which converted the sinner from the error of his way. He's not necessarily speaking of the unconverted here. He's speaking of anyone that has sinned. Sinner from the error of his ways shall save his soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. I can take this as a general statement. Because a person that goes bitter to the end of his life is really following what James says in chapter 1. That sin starts off with the conception of lust. And when that conceives, it brings forth sin. And when sin is finished, if you let any sin go to its nth degree, you could lead to destruction. God said, Jesus said, if you don't forgive your brother, I will not forgive you. Huh? What does that say? What does that say? I had someone approach me after a testimony one evening and he said, does that really mean that? So that's what God said. That's what Jesus said. If you do not forgive your brother, neither will your father in heaven forgive you. But that's not what it really means. I said, you tell me then. You're the, you're the teacher. You're the teacher. You tell me. You're preaching from the pulpit. You tell me how you would expound this to the members or to the congregation. You know what he said? I guess you're right. We cannot second guess God. If God sent his son to forgive us for our sins, what does he expect of us to do? Do we, are we higher than God? Is our court higher than the court of God? A lot of people think, and I mentioned it earlier, That I won't say anything bad back to him. I won't, I won't get him back. I won't get her back. I won't take vengeance. I'll just ignore him. I'll just stay away. This way I won't be tempted to say anything in retaliation. Is that what God wants from us? 
Is that what God wants his church to look like? A bunch of hurt individuals that don't talk to each other, so I don't sin. We are not acting like our Father. We are not portraying the manifestations and the characteristics of our Father which is in heaven. We are not following Jesus. We still believe that he exists. But when Jesus says, follow me, take up your cross and follow me, he means in everything. Not to pick and choose. Not to pick and choose what things I should do. Oh, I go to church every Sunday. I, I tell my children when they're growing up, you know, this is what you should do when you grow up. You should become Christians because Jesus loved you and he died on the cross for you. But when it comes time to interacting with fellow believers or others, then we have some exception clause. That the hurt was too great. That the hurt was too great. In the Old Testament, God gave the command. It was a law. He gave the command to Israel to take the Passover. Right? And if anyone couldn't take the Passover on the day, they were given an opportunity to take it later on. Maybe they were sick or women were in their so-called season. Whatever it could be. But they were taken, they were given another day to do it. And if they refused to do it, if they didn't make right to do it, because they were unclean maybe for the first time, they were to purify themselves and take it later on, another day or two later, whatever it was. And God says, if you refuse to do that, then you were put out. I'm not sure if he said you, you were stoned or you were killed or you were cut off from the nation of Israel forget which one was used but it's because of your lack of care for his people a lack of your respect to his commands and so it's not a matter of me just ignoring avoiding Others. In closing, I'm going to read for, uh, from 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2 says, Sorry, it's, it's eluded me. It does say, though, that in a, in a house, there are vessels made to honor and unto dishonor. And if you find yourself to be a vessel unto dishonor, 
because you know you're not walking according to the word of God. Then make yourself a vessel unto honor. Do the things that you need to do. Go through what you need to do to make yourself a vessel. It doesn't excuse you. God is gracious. God is merciful. God is long-suffering. And he wants every single vessel in his house to be clean and to be pure. And you know what? The, the end is glorious. When there can be humility, when there can be uh, transparency, honesty, where there can be love and acceptance and restoration, it's glorious, the scripture says. And you wonder, why didn't I do this in the first place? Why did I torture myself? Why did I inflict so much harm upon myself and upon my brother? It's glorious. Now you have freedom. Now you have freedom. The chain has been, or the fetter has been unlocked. And you have freedom. Love without freedom is not love. There's a beautiful verse in Psalm 119. It's got a lot of beautiful verses. I remember we used to play these uh, children's songs to the children when they were younger. It says, The entrance of thy word giveth life. It gives understanding unto the simple. The words are still in my head. The melody is still in my head. The entrance of thy word giveth life. It gives understanding to the simple. But there's another verse that I came across that says, Great peace, great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. May it be for all of us. To him be the glory evermore. A thought just went through my mind while we were singing. As I said, in this past two weeks, people have been posting things on social media. And one thing that really caught my attention was not only to recognize before we approach someone what they may be going through, before we pass judgment, and wish justice. There was a very moving vignette. It looked like a, some kind of a primary school in Russia where every morning this young boy would come to school late. He'd appear late in front of all the children. It must have been eight, ten, I don't know. And so the austere teacher wants to set him as an example. Anyone that comes late needs to get punished. So he had to stick his hand out and he would give him a whack with a ruler. And then he'd have to go sit down. 
I know what it feels like back in Australia. We got the cane and it was electricity when we get it. This happened over and over and over again. As the boy came in to the class, he'd always stick his hand out first before the teacher even asked him because he knew he was going to get it. One morning, the teacher was riding to school on his bicycle and he saw this little boy pushing his disabled brother. to whatever, the doctors or some institution in a wheelchair. He was pushing him and pushing him and pushing him. And then when he delivered, he quickly ran to school to see if he could make it on time. That moved that teacher to tears, as it does me. It may have been a fictitious story. Nevertheless, there's a truth in it. And instead of now whacking him across the hand with a ruler in front of the class. He grabbed him and gave him a big hug. We're all God's children. And every one of us deserves the love of a father. The command that Jesus gave to the disciples before he left was love one another. This new commandment I give unto you at the Lord's Supper, love one another. And if we love one another with the love of Christ, we will try to redeem each other with the love of Christ. And our hearts will be set right. They won't be bitter. And nothing will offend us because we're doing it for the Lord and for our brother. To him be the glory evermore. Amen. This concludes our service.